How you doing? My name is Luke Such. I'm Scott Meinema. And today we are talking about picking a good Bible commentary. Picking a good Bible commentary. Why would I want to pick a good... Why would I want to read... <laughs> I thought commentaries were like for pastors and Bible teachers. Why would, why would I want a Bible... Com- why would I... Why do I need Bible commentaries? Yeah, it's a fair question. It, really, I this was my topic, and I wanted to bring it up because uh, it's something that I get asked not infrequently, believe it or not. Uh, say, could you recommend a good commentary on this book or that book? Or what do you do? And how do you go to pick commentaries? And in many ways, more often than not, they are written for pastors and Bible scholars. And so picking up a random commentary off the shelf and you read it, you might be like, oh, this is this actually isn't for me, for this, most people. Right. Oh, this, this is over my head. They're talking about grammar and... Yeah. 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 And depending on the level and technicality of the... There may be giant portions of Greek or Hebrew in that commentary that are completely unintelligible. There may be giant sections on historical critical analysis of the text or even the manuscript behind the text. And all of a sudden you're swimming and going, ah, this is not what I thought I was doing. So how do we avoid all of that chaos is really what we're getting at. Yeah. Maybe a good place to start is, uh, I don't, we just talk about the purpose of a commentary, right? What are some of the, you know, what are some of the reasons for commentaries? Why do they exist? Yeah, a, a commentary exists essentially to help you understand your Bible. And to that end, I think it's necessary to say the first step in picking a good commentary is listening to last week's podcast and r- starting with your Bible. So yeah. don't start with the commentary. Go and read your text and read it well, as best as you possibly can. Read it multiple times if you're confused on a text or a passage. And, and spend as much time with you and the indwelling spirit in the word as you possibly can, right? I uh, joked, I, I got in, not in trouble. I don't want to say in trouble, but uh, <laughs> maybe one of the things I had the most pushback that I've ever said from a pulpit was, I don't like study Bibles. Um, and I, I yeah, okay. <laughs> a collective gasp from the crowd. Um, and And the reason is so many people pull out a study Bible from, even from people that I like and respect. And they've, you know, they got their name on the cover, which I've got weird issues with that already. If you put your name on the cover of a Bible, but we'll leave that for another day. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Okay. Um, But people read their Bible, right? They read that little section of the biblical text up above, and it's like a, a third of the page and they go, oh, I wonder what it means. And then they leave the inspired text of the Holy Spirit and they jump down to a fallible human and go, oh, that's what God's word means. And the reason I I am spurned by the study Bible is because it it's frequently used improperly. So all that to say, start with your Bible. Start with your Bible, and when you need a commentary, then how do you go about picking a good one? That's what we're trying to. Yeah, that's what we're. But I, I, I don't want to move off. No, I don't, no, don't want to move bring off. Bring me back. That. Well, no, 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 not bring you back. I just want to emphasize the point you're making. One, don't start with a commentary. Read the Bible. And last week's podcast dealt with just developing a a hermeneutic for Bible interpretation, and so doing that first. Um, but whatever you do, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. Don't start with a commentary. And I know I'm kind of jumping ahead here, but since we're on this, 
have you thought about for, you know, for most of us, how much time is there, is there some, maybe some rules of thumb? How much time should I spend in my Bible? What are some good suggestions? How much time do I spend in my Bible versus my commentary, right? How much time yeah. do I spend in the, versus the comments on somebody else's thoughts and comments on it? it? It really, for me, depends on the passage and what type of thing I'm working through. So on some passages, I won't read commentaries at all. I, I'll have, and for the simplicity, if I'm preparing a sermon, I will prepare the whole sermon without a commentary, and then I'll pick up a commentary or two just to clarify, make sure I didn't miss something really important. Um, I'll try to do as much of it without the commentary as I can. And, and that is a theological commitment. It's not just a practical one, because I, I think that the Holy Spirit inspired the Word. I think that the Holy Spirit is indwelling within me, and I want to place my trust in God's ability to bring about what He wants to bring about. Now, I need to do that humbly. I need to do that prayerfully, which we talked about last time. I need to make sure that that is uh, intentional. That being said, um, God's indwelling Spirit has been in others before. And I want to listen to their wisdom as well. So I don't want to assume that I've always got it right. I'm going to live out on this interpretive island by myself, and, and it's just me and the Bible, and I don't need any other people. That's wrong as well. Um, however, it, it just depends on the text for me. I don't know. Do you have a different answer in terms of timing? No, I've it, the. That's why I was asking the question. I wasn't. <laughs> you, don't, was, you don't have an answer. That's okay. One of the rare times it wasn't a beach ball or a softball. <laughs> yeah, I really was yeah. asking, but yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I like your suggestion, and I think, you know, again, just practically speaking, if if we're being honest, I think sometimes I can get lazy and spend way too much time with the commentaries. Yeah maybe even starting there and like, okay, just what is, what does this mean? And, and not spending near enough time in, in, in the word. So that's why I just was curious what your thoughts were on that. And and, and I appreciate what you said. So I guess one more thing on that. Usually this doesn't have to be the case, but usually people are engaging with commentaries because they're about to teach a section of scripture. So if that's the case, I've, and I've said this before, I try to spend at least as much time with just me in the Bible, like let's say if it's just for purpose of clean conversation, 50% of my study time happens before I open a commentary. And then it's probably about 25% of the time reading commentaries. And then 20, the rest of the 25 is actually writing, you know, all of, all of that, that first 50% with me in the Bible, the second 25% with, me and my Bible and a commentary is all taking notes. And then the last 25% is furiously trying to compile those notes into something that looks coherent and is understandable. So that's very general. It's never that clean, but I, I want to make sure that I always start with me and my Bible. And if let's say I'm uh, preaching on a Sunday, I start a Monday morning, I open up my Bible, I read my text, I pray through it. I make any broad general notes. Think about it as long as I can. Every day that I come back, if I'm going to go to a commentary the next day, I always start with reading my text again and praying through it. Yeah. So that in and of itself helps put me in the proper frame to not be overly reliant on a commentary of a flawed person's view. Um, and I, and then that's been helpful for yeah, me. It's it, good. It keeps it from from falling into some of the potential pitfalls. So so I'm 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 just I'm going back. I'm thinking about. I think our our listening audience is up to like ten now. Yeah, at least ten. And of so them. of the ten, there's probably nine. 
that don't teach the Bible on a regular basis. They they study their Bible. Maybe, they study their Bible to grow in their relationship with the Lord and to know Him better. And mm-hmm. so from the standpoint of the value of a commentary, I mean, yeah. you mentioned the ultimately the, the purpose of the commentary is to explain the Bible. What are some benefits? We'll get into what makes a good commentary, right? But what are the the benefits of a good commentary to, you know, to me as I just, you know, I try to read on a daily basis. Yeah. So I I think uh, there's probably more categories than this, but I'm doing, if I'm just off the top of my head, when I think about a good commentary, there's obviously different levels of complexity, but overall, when I go to pick one, there's going to bring about helpful theological understanding. Oftentimes the people who are writing these have been studying this book and broader theology for a long, 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 long time. And I get to benefit from their insight. So there's a a theological understanding. Sometimes there's a pastoral and cultural understanding of of our current context. Hmm. So depending on the commentary and how it's organized, the NIV application is quite famously trying to, they have a section in it, bridging contexts. And each no matter the the book or the author, they format it in the same way so that there's a section of the commentary after they've given their comment on the passage that has bridging context. Here's some thoughts on how this might relate to a current 21st century evangelical world. So there's that. But more frequently, what people think of in in, uh, commentaries is linguistic or grammatical help on stuff that I'm just not equipped. I I know a little bit of Greek. I know zero Hebrew. Um, And just being able to benefit from someone who spent decades worth of insight and study on those types of questions is really, really helpful. Sometimes. Sometimes it's overplayed, to Mm -hmm. be quite honest. Um, And and we, I think, get down into the grammatical weeds and miss the the plain and bigger understanding of Scripture. That happens. Um, But then also... uh, the so I have four right. What did I just say? so theological? Sometimes it's uh, practical or even cultural, and, and in terms of our culture, sometimes it's linguistic, grammatical, grammatical, and then sometimes it's a understanding of the ancient world of the text. Right, the historical context. Frequently, of the, of the, of the text. and go, oh man, I would have never picked up right. on yeah. this gate at the temple has a very specific understanding for a first century Jew that doesn't. Speak speak to me very strongly. And it's just, oh, it's the gate. It's the, yeah. it's the beautiful gate. Cool. I don't know. But when they, you start reading, go, oh, oh no, there, there's a history here that the original audience knew. Yeah. And the commentator spent the time in the ancient world and in the surrounding literature to make sure that he didn't miss the what the original audience would have assumed. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. As you're, as you're talking, there's so many examples of that that come, that come to mind. But you could pick up a good commentary. Let's say you're studying through the book of John and you're in chapter one, and even in the first three verses, maybe I don't pick up the reality of the fact that John is taking his readers back to the very first verse of the very first book of the of the Pentateuch. Or in verse 14, when he says, and the word became, talking about Christ, and the word became flesh, and our translation usually uses the word dwelt. But in the original, a good commentary might pull out that that word is tabernacle, mm-hmm. and it's going to take us back to the Old Testament imagery of 
the Jew, of you know, the, Exodus of, 40 and God dwelling. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's huge. It's yeah. huge. It, it, it brings three dimensions to that, you know. Sure. So, yeah. So, so there are things yeah. like that yep. that are, I don't want to say, they're not hidden, but it, it might be harder to understand on a first passive reading that someone who's done 14 times the amount of work on that passage is able to help you see. And, and those are many times invaluable. So grateful for the scholars that have given their lives to be able to help me see that word so that as a pastor, I can help my people see that word yeah. and, and know God better and delight in Him. That's good. Well, we, we've touched on, but we probably ought to give a little more time to this. We've touched on what are some mistakes that, that people make when going to commentaries. We touched on the first one, just starting with commentaries. Yeah, don't do that. What, uh, are, what are some other mistakes? Yeah, picking the wrong level of commentary. So mm-hmm. if, it, it, and I, I understand our podcast uh, audience here is probably not someone who's uh, doing this regularly, uh, right? So the if you're studying and teaching the Bible all the time, you probably already have a lot of your preconceived notions on commentary. So this is probably a a conversation for people who don't. And if you pick the wrong level of commentary, I don't know if I have, I have a bunch of books behind me. I don't know. This this is great radio right here, right? Audio only, uh, me turning around and bumping into my microphone is really helpful. Um, The wrong level of commentary. So you may know nothing about Greek or Hebrew and pick a commentary that is incredibly technical and spends... 70% 70% of its time in grammatical and linguistic comments that you aren't even literally every fourth word you can't read. It's in a different language. And so picking the wrong level of commentary, um, I was trying to figure out how to frame this properly. Not everyone agrees with evangelical Christianity. And so you can find a very, very liberal commentary that has different commitments to the Bible that doesn't well, believe the Bible is God's word at all. Yes. Yeah, so the, the, I was going to ask that question, you can already teed it up, but with theological commitments, the, the, whoever's the, the yeah. author of the commentary, that individual's theological commitments, should I have some idea of that before selecting a commentary? Absolutely. Um, now, that doesn't mean I would write them off entirely. So particularly, in, and this is a tricky one, um, because of what we talked about last time with Ephesians, with well, Ephesians. Well, you you had commented in in the last podcast even how some you were talking about a pastor and his interpretation. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you could have a commentator that would take that same position, right, and have more of a instead of a complementarian view of that passage would have more of a egalitarian view of that passage. Yeah, and that is even comparatively a minor disagreement compared to frequently what you'll find in some other commentaries that right. this isn't inspired. This is just an ancient document. This, that, there's no truth or sway for your life. It's just an interesting piece of literature. Yeah. And and you may not know that at all by the cover of that book. And it's, it's an in-depth commentary on, I don't know, First Samuel or whatever it is. And the person who's writing it doesn't think that God exists, doesn't think that any of this should infect how you believe or behave. Or doesn't have a Trinitarian view of God. All, all of those things are yeah. possible. So I, well, I was, what I was going to say, um, the 
broader question that we talked about last time of the purpose of the Bible and the understanding of the Bible as an application, right? It's meant to draw you closer to God to change how you live. Well, what happens when you get a Jewish commentator who disagrees with your theological commitments and doesn't think that it's to draw you closer to Christ-likeness, at least, but they have a great commentary. So, uh, well, you get, uh, it, it's not easy to, to wrestle through some of those things. Um, my my dad has a commentary set on the Torah that is written by a Jewish, a Nahum Sarna, I think is the guy's name, or maybe it's written by several others, but at least his on on Genesis is fantastic. All that that like cultural understanding and that deeper now it, it will never connect you to Christ. It will yeah. never point you to the end, but it will bring out a understanding of the original audience that oftentimes an evangelical commentator will miss. Mm-hmm. And it it is a legit Hebrew comment. I mean, it, it reads right to left, so it's like you know he it's it's for a Jewish audience, but it's really really good in so many ways. And if you're able and to take the meat and spit out the bones on something like that. You just have to be mindful of it. I I think it can be useful. It can be helpful. I wouldn't suggest it for (laughs) pulling a commentary off the shelf and just going for it. So we've talked a little bit about some of the the mistakes, um, starting with the commentary, picking, selecting a author of a commentary that doesn't have, um, that, you know, has completely different theological positions um, picking a commentary that is just maybe too high on the shelf for where for for my immediate um, need, and and those exist those exist for me. Where yeah, I mean, yeah, there are books me I'm like, well, I, I don't understand this, or even it it maybe I could understand it if I wanted to, but it's not actually all that helpful to right. understanding God's word. Yeah. Um, so, and and I would probably just for sake of simplicity, say that there are lay-level commentaries, there are pastoral-level commentaries, and then there are academic-level commentaries. Well, that's, again, great segue into the next question. I was going to ask you, can you talk a little bit about the different types of commentaries? And maybe maybe you just mentioned them, but maybe um, unpack each of those a little bit. Yeah, so a lay-level commentary is generally um, written at a the the vocabulary is written at a very accessible level the purpose and intent is to connect with an average christian or or a christian who wants to study a little bit deeper but they're not going to dive incredibly deep into technical matters of higher criticism or manuscript disagreements or you know huge comparison of uh, the different gospel narratives on how they treat this or that and which one. Yeah, those conversations happen in a lot of commentaries. Sometimes I get to that section and I just go, all right, when's this over? And I flip a few pages <laughs> and I get me back to the what I'm really here for. Um, and sometimes it's really neat, needed and, and helpful. Um, but the, the Christ-centered exposition commentary series that we've used a lot around here is written at a lay level. It's a, it's a lay level. It, it, most of those are written by pastors. And when I say written by pastors, what that means is there was probably an editor who took their sermon notes and compiled them into something that resembles more of a commentary than a sermon. Although there are definitely sermon aspects of them. So almost anytime you see a commentary that's written by a pastor, it's more, it's going to be more lay level because what that actually was, was 
a pastor looking to communicate that to his congregation, yep. not looking to communicate to other Bible scholars. Right? The audience that was in mind at the writing of the book will dictate who and, and how it's received. So if you know or recognize a pastor's name versus a scholar's name, and, and you know that by do you actually recognize the name? Mm. <laughs> no, nobody knows Bible scholars generally. Uh, more often than not, it, it have, it's a rare case that a, a Bible scholar has broken through into the conscience of the, the average churchgoer. Um, but that's, those are generally going to be lay level. So all of John MacArthur's commentaries are at a pretty lay level. Yeah. And you, you could go pick anybody in the church, go pick one of those up. It would be helpful. It would be accessible and good. All of Kent Hughes' commentaries. He has commentaries on, and, and there's, there's good and bad things about that. And I don't agree with everything in either of those guys' comments, but they may help you see some things or they may give you a really good illustration, right? Because that's a lay level commentary. They're trying to help give cultural and uh, accessible information. Yeah. You know, you... You mentioned like commentary sets. You mentioned MacArthur's commentaries, and they yeah. are good. Um, sometimes, so, sometimes I, I found like they're actually not very good in, on certain aspects. Right, but I mean, yeah. if just the over the overall trajectory yep. is good, a safe place. Yeah, yeah. But can can you talk about even in thinking about that? If I'm looking to go out and get um, as a layperson some commentaries, yes, is there is there some wisdom in Buying someone, we're just using MacArthur as an example, but someone who has written all their own com- the commentaries of one person versus trying to get the best of the best. So if I'm if I'm you know reading through the Book of John, might there be some other mm-hmm. folks who have just done maybe because they're they're scholars of John, yep. and w- w- is there a wisdom maybe to picking? individual commentaries instead of going, you know, Calvin's whole set yep. or MacArthur's whole set yep. or, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's a very good question. And we get down into the nitty gritty here. It, it, again, it depends on what you're trying to accomplish. But if you want to study deeper and maybe even a little deeper than that lay level and all of this, there, you know, it's a spectrum. There's not a clear cutoff like, oh, here's a lay one. Here's a pastoral one. There's, there's always a little bit of nuance in there. Um, if you want to go a little bit deeper, and even if you want to just stay at the lay level, I would always suggest don't buy a set. Uh, any set of commentaries, even for uh, a, an individual author, um, they're going to be stronger on some books than they are on others. There's just no way around that. But it, it, for broad sets too, so if you look at the New International Commentary Series or the Pillar Commentary Series, some of them are going to be really good. And man, it looks incredible fun on your shelf to have every single commentary in that set. But what you want to look for more is individual volumes or even, and more helpfully, uh, individual scholars that are really, really good and that you know are good. So uh, when I uh, first started uh, preaching at Hope every week, I bought every commentary that John Stott wrote. Doesn't matter. I, I, I don't care what book it is on. I... The way that he writes, I, I have a hard time finding anybody better on outlining and on concisely getting to the theological point of a text. Go by John Stott. And, and it's, a, it's a pastoral level commentary. Mm-hmm. It's not the most academic, but man, is he good. 
Yeah. Um, D.A. Carson. Carson's going to be a little more academic, but same thing. His commentary in the book of John is oh, outstanding. Yeah. yeah. And that's in that pillar commentary series, which is one of the better series. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. But there are still going to be books and you're like, yeah, that was okay. Um, and sometimes they're going to be really good. Uh, Derek Kidner would be another one. If you, if you want a great place to begin with commentaries, go by Kidner's two volume commentary on the Psalms and by two volume, don't be scared. Both of them are probably a hundred pages each. They're really short. Kidner does more with fewer words than any other commentator. Mm -hmm which is a great quality in a commentator because most of the time they just like just word vomit and it's just all over the place and you got to sift through all of the good with the bad. Um, Kidner is fantastic. So I would pick authors. Um, and now let me pause right there and say, there's a few helpful, you're like, how do I know which author is good or bad? There are uh, two places that I would point you to that are really, really helpful on this question. There are, there's a, uh, a two volume book or set of books uh, called New Testament Commentary Survey and Old Testament Commentary Survey. The New Testament one is written by D.A. Carson. The Old Testament one is written by Trimper Longman. Hmm. And they literally just go through. And and so if I flip, I've got them sitting on the table here in front of me. They flip it open and say, all right, Chronicles. And they go through and, and they list the most notable 20 volume, 20 commentaries on on. Chronicles, I think Longman's is a little better and more readable. Carson's ends up being giant block text. Longman takes them individually, and then he gives them a star rating. But he'll give you a paragraph on each of these. So here's uh, McConville's two-volume commentary on Chronicles. This commentary is interesting and solid exposition of an often neglected book. He is sensitive to theology and application. Great. Perfect. Okay, that tells yeah. me just a little bit about him. And then it moves on to the next one. You know, here's this guy or that guy. Here's what you need to know or not know on, on this comment. It will do that very well. If you want a shorter version of that and one that's free, Ligonier on their website has a, a basically a commentary survey, and they will suggest different commentaries on every book of the Bible. Here's a good one to start with. This is a more academic level. Um, so if you're interested, you can do that. If you want to look at these books, by the way, that New Testament commentary survey by D.A. Carson and the Old Testament one by Tremper Longman, I have a copy of each of those books in the resource room on the third floor at Headwaters. You are welcome anytime ABF or Wednesday night to go in there and look at it. You just have to leave it there because it is there for anybody who's teaching to be able to go and do this exact thing. Go and say, what is a good commentary on Ephesians? And then you go and you go, all right, I'm going to pick one of these. And Carson's going to give you these five things. He's going to tell you what he likes about them and what he doesn't. And then he's going to move on and go to the next book. Is that helpful? Yeah, that's good. That's good. So mention, um, mention that the name of that set one more time. Yeah, New Testament Commentary Survey. And I, the, the copy that I have is the seventh edition of that. And by the nature of what they're doing, they have to keep updating these because new commentaries come out all the time. An Old Testament commentary survey by Trimper Longman. I don't think they're super expensive. They're probably 12, 15 bucks on Amazon if you wanted to have them. If you're getting into studying the Bible, I, I suggest it. It's very much so worth it. Um, but yeah, wor worth going out and getting them. Now, one other thing to, to mention that I haven't at this point, there are single volume commentaries on the whole Bible, which essentially is a study Bible 
without the biblical text, right? It's a single volume, has every book of the Bible in it. There are a few of those that are really good and helpful that are probably all lay level. Yeah, what are a couple of... A couple of those. Uh, well, the Moody Bible Commentary is written by the the staff at Moody Bible Institute. I use that one frequently. It, sometimes it depends on what I'm doing and how. If I want just a really good overview of that text, I'll I'll go to one of those. Um, there is a Wycliffe Bible Commentary, whole Bible Commentary that is very good as well. And then it's a red cover, and I'm forgetting the the uh, title of it. There's there's another one that's on my shelf, uh, and and I'll grab those. Um, earlier on, when I want to overview a bigger picture, make sure I'm not missing something um, before I get into something that's a little more detailed. So any of those are going to be good. Um, the, another option on this, and and you got to be careful on some of this, not getting one person's voice being too dominant in your understanding of the Bible, but you can go online and find a sermon. That's it's essentially a commentary, right? Yeah, a, a ser- right. So go on Desiring God and find a, a sermon by John Piper or go on Capitol Hill Baptist's website and find what Mark Dever had to say on that text or Alistair oh. Begg or John MacArthur. Or, there, there's a host of, of great expositors who have preached through almost the entire Bible at this point in their lengthy pastoral careers. Go listen to what they have to say. They have, they have great insight. Um, now, you got to be careful not to just preach someone else's sermon there. But if you're trying to study it for the purpose of teaching— They'll give you great ideas on some of those things. Yeah, it's good. Well, I'm kind of looking at the clock here. Any uh, any final words as we kind of wrap up talking about commentaries? Uh, studying God's Word is fun, and it, it it is a great piece of literature in its own right, in that any great piece of literature, you can read it at an initial level, and it's it's good and it's useful. And the more you drill down deep, you go, man, there's even more here. I, there, it, you can keep going for yeah. decades worth on any text or book or theological theme. And it's all, it, it never gets boring. Yeah. Never gets boring. Uh, but, so go engage, go read your Bible, go study. That's good. It reminds me of a Charles Spurgeon quote. Nobody, he says, nobody ever outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. Within the scriptures, there's a balm for every wound, a salve for every sore. There is dust enough on some of your Bibles to write damnation with your fingers. Hmm. The Bible is not the light of the world. It is the light of the church. Good place to end right there. Go enjoy your Bible. <laughs>